Amen. Good morning, everyone. Excited to be in God's Word with you today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13. So let's open our Bibles right there to Hebrews 13. And uh, yeah, as you're getting there, I'll have you notice there is no Hebrews chapter 14. And just as Rob mentioned, we only have one week left in the book of Hebrews. And it really has been a fruitful season in the life of our church as we've just been going through uh, this amazing book studying these truths about Jesus. I'm kind of mourning the fact that we're ending the book of Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books to teach through. So, um, but, but really what we've seen, if we could sort of pull out one theme throughout, is that we have seen that Jesus is far more superior in every way. Uh, we keep saying Jesus is better, and it is so true that he, he's better in a myriad of ways. And so we're going to continue to look to him uh, this morning for how to live, you know, both now and for eternity. And so I hope that you've enjoyed this book as much as I have. I hope that you've grown spiritually from it. And I know I, I want to mention too that I did say at the start of this book that there are people who um, endeavored to read through the Bible in six months in the time period that we were going through the book of Hebrews. And I've heard from, uh, from many of you that you have done that and uh, how enriching it's been. Uh, and it's never a bad time to start reading the Bible, especially at the beginning of a new year. If you've never read the Bible before, I remember when I was 19 years old, I read the Bible for the first time cover to cover, and it was transforming to my life. So uh, never a better time to just begin reading Scripture. Uh, but our next series, like uh, Rob mentioned, after Mission Sunday and Baptism Sunday, is going to be the book of Revelation. And I'm really looking forward to that series because um, what we want to do as a church continually is we want to study the scriptures in order for us to fix our gaze upon Jesus. We want to look to him because it's in him that we find salvation. And really, it's in him that we find everything for life and godliness. And so um, we're going to just keep doing that, right? We're just going to keep looking to Jesus until he comes or until we go to be with him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, today we're reading from... Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 16. So let me read that for us, and then we're just going to dive in and study it verse by verse. This is what it says. Hebrews 13, starting in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gates in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. 
God, we thank you for your word and the truth that it brings to us each Sunday that we gather here. Lord, I pray that you just speak, speak mightily today by your Holy Spirit. God, strengthen our hearts with grace. Help us to just keep looking at you, Jesus, and learning from you. So, Lord, I pray that you just be moving powerfully in, in the midst of this gathering, all for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so the final chapter of Hebrews might seem a little bit disjointed to us because the writer is kind of rattling off one exhortation after another. And, you know, this is the end of the letter, so it kind of seems like the writer is trying to get in a few last words before he signs off. But as we're going to see today, this is God's living word. And, and all the way through to the final greeting of this letter, we have much to learn. And, and so picking off where we left off last week uh, with Pastor Rob teaching a wonderful message that, that kind of brought us into the new year, we're looking at now verse 7 that gives us a reminder. It's, it's a reminder that's really going to benefit both you and me. And I think you'll see what I mean. Verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, the word of God is filled with teaching about leadership and, and teaching about how the church should function. And the church, in order for it to function as it should, there needs to be leadership. And we have books like First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus, which the women are going to be studying alongside with the men here on Wednesday nights. And, and those books, what they do is they specifically address what leadership should look like in the church. And, and when we read these letters, we find that there's a lot of attention that is given to the character of leadership and to the teaching of leadership. Now, not all church leadership includes teaching the Bible, but that is what the writer of Hebrews really has in mind here when he says, remember your leaders. He says, remember those who spoke to you the word of God. Because those who speak God's word to you, those are your spiritual leaders. Now, it feels a little bit awkward for me right now to teach from verse 7, because what am I doing right now? I'm teaching God's word to you, and that makes me your leader. And you are being told by God's word to remember me. Now, I hope that any time that I come to your mind that you would have nice thoughts towards me. <laughs> you know, I'm like anyone else where I have a desire to be loved and to be treated well, and, and I hope that you would have appreciation for how I teach God's Word to you. And, and listen, I, I don't find in this church there to be any sort of lack of love or appreciation for what I do uh, in, in being your pastor, of having this role and this responsibility of, of teaching God's Word to you, because, you know, you, you're my family. I love this church. I, I love you. As I look out and I see all of these faces, um, it is my joy and it's, it's my privilege to stand before you each week to teach you God's word. 
And, and I'm glad that you understand that when I stand here from this pulpit and I open the Bible and, and we read from it and we teach from it, that you're not merely receiving my words, but that you are receiving God's word that is spoken through me as just merely one of his many servants that serve in this church. And, and so what does this mean here as we read they were to remember our leaders. Well, verse 7 goes on to say, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That word consider, it means to look intently. And it's actually in a, a, a verb tense, which as a teacher, I look into the verb tenses of words as I'm going through them. And this is in the present active imperative verb tense, which means that if you're to consider your leaders, you are to always be looking carefully at your leaders, especially those who speak God's word to you. Now, that makes me a little bit sober here this morning to the reality of my calling as a pastor, because you are being told right here in the word of God to look at my life, to watch me, to observe me, to examine me, to see how I live. That's a little bit daunting <laughs> and, and actually quite humbling for me to think about because it really is true that leaders in the church live in glass houses. Your life is on display for people to see. And, and I desire to live my life in such a way that you would be able to imitate my faith. And I want you to see the outcome of my life, see how I follow Jesus and how I love him, and that, that if you were to do the same, that you would have that same outcome. But, but just, can I just say here for a minute that, that I have a confession to make to you? I'm not perfect. And if you look close enough and long enough at my life, you will inevitably find something that will disappoint you. And that's why we can take hope in the next verse. Verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus is the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is our pastor. And he's a perfect pastor. And he will never disappoint. He will never fail. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you, whereas all human leaders have a capacity to fail and disappoint. But a good leader is someone who follows Jesus and leads like Jesus. And the way Jesus has led us is he's led us as a humble servant and and so while I will not have perfection in this life, I, I at least know that I have direction in my life, and it is to follow Jesus. It's to continually be growing in love, to be growing in holiness, to be growing in the Word of God, and I merely want to just allow you to see that that is a life that can be lived. And so we can and we should follow people who are faithfully following Jesus so that we can imitate them. And we find that, especially in our culture and in our times, and probably with a track record of 
disappointments, we, we begin to lose hope in leadership. We begin to question, well, why should I look at them? And so there begins to be this growing idea where, where people will say, and they'll often say this as a way to dismiss their own poor character. They'll say, you know, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Don't, don't, don't look at my life, look, look to Jesus. But the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> who was a great leader in the church, never said that. Instead, Paul was able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. He said, imitate my way of life as I imitate Jesus' way of life. And Jesus had a way of life. And you can see that way of life in the four Gospels. You can go and read and see the way that Jesus lived, and he is the perfect model that we are all to follow. Uh, But a godly leader is someone who is going to seek to live like Jesus lived. And so a humbling question that I ask myself as a leader is this, is that if everyone in the church followed Jesus the way that I follow Jesus, what would the spiritual status of the church be? Can I confidently say, follow me as I follow Christ? I tremble over those words. You know, Jesus said, be holy, for I am holy. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And so as a leader, especially as one who teaches God's word, I have this high and holy calling to live by faith. But so do you. You realize that, don't you? It's not just me who's to live a high and holy life. So are you. As I imitate me, or as, as I imitate Jesus, you, you also imitate Jesus. We all are to live like Jesus lived. But the scriptures are just real because, because we can't see Jesus. We see him and we perceive him by faith. It is very valuable to have leaders in your life that you can imitate so that they can help you to live by faith. So, so as a leader myself, I have leaders that I look to. I have people that I follow as examples. Some of those leaders are right here in this room. Some are in Santa Barbara and elsewhere. And and so I have a lot of leaders that I look to, and and a lot of the ones I look to are dead. Dead leaders are some of the best leaders to look to. And why is that? Well, because you get to see the outcome of their life. And did you notice what the text says? It says, that you would see the outcome, and that word outcome means that you see the end results. You see how they finish, and you don't get to see the end result of a life until a life has ended, and, and I'm only 35 years old, and I have every intention to lead and to teach God's word faithfully to the end. I hope that you would be with me along for that journey. I not only want to be someone who speaks God's word, but I want to be a person who lives God's word. I want to be someone who goes out with a legacy. We all want legacies, don't we? You know, do you ever, do you ever think about what people would say at your memorial service? I wouldn't mind it being said at mine. He was a leader who spoke the word of God. So if anyone's at my memorial service... 
Hebrews 13, 7. It's a good one. I like that one. You know, my, my wife hates it when I start talking about my memorial service with her. She's like, chill out, dude. You're only 35 years old. But it's never too early to start thinking about dying and what legacy you're going to leave behind. And the best legacies are lived by those who think regularly about dying. It's lived by the people who have eternity in focus, who know where they're headed, that, that, that they're going to see Jesus. That's when the best legacies are lived. And so I'm asking you that you remember me. Remember Leah. Remember our three children and pray for us often. I know you do. Do you pray for your leaders? I'm going to humbly request that you pray for me often because I need it. Because I continually depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit and an outpouring of God's grace to keep me going as a leader. And so remember your leaders, whether dead or alive, whether at this church or at a previous church. Think often about the people who have spoken the word of God to you. Be thankful for them. Pray for them so that you too can follow their example and then in turn you can be an example to someone else. So that's what this life's all about. Living a life of following Jesus together. So I already read verse 8 but it's worth looking at again. And it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is a wonderful scripture to commit to memory because that is a verse that has carried me and I'm sure has carried you through many of the constantly changing uh, things that are in life. The trials and the troubles that we might face, it's so good to know that Jesus is constant, that he never changes. It's why we love him. It's why we say so often here, bring the real you to the real Jesus. And what I love about that statement is that there is a variable in that statement and there is a constant in that statement. We are the variable we are capable of changing, and we do change, and it's good that we do. But Jesus is unchanging. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the constant. It's so good to know that when you bring the real you to the real Jesus, you don't catch Jesus on a bad day. Where it's like you come to him one time and he's one way, and you come to him another time and he, he's totally different, and he's sort of taking a turn for how he treats you or how he responds to you. Jesus is always the same. So the way you view Jesus, if, if that's changing, it's not that he's changed, it's that you've changed. If he becomes more beautiful in your sight, it's not because he's becoming more beautiful, it's because you're beholding his beauty because you're the one changing. And so as we change, it's so good to know that he never does. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if that's true of Jesus, then it's also true of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. Then moving on to verse 9, it says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those 
devoted to them. So this verse here, it's connected to the previous two verses that we just looked at because to be a good leader, you have to be someone who teaches God's unchanging truth, the truth of God's word. And we know from the word of God, for instance, what Paul said to the leaders of Ephesus, that in the church there will rise up teachers who will lead people astray with diverse and strange teachings. And again, this is why I always tell you on a Sunday morning, open your Bible. Bring your Bible to church. It's why we emphasize in this church the importance of teaching the whole counsel of God's Word, just to continually go through the Scriptures, book after book, looking at it verse by verse, because that is the way that you can rightly divide the Word of God, as Paul told Timothy to do. And if there's a right way to divide the Word, then you know what that means? There's also a wrong way to divide the Word. And it's when churches begin to neglect the Word of God. They, they devalue it. They, they, they begin to find that maybe their own opinions and ideas or, or, or ways of putting things is perhaps more culturally appropriate or whatever it is, and they begin to give, rather than giving the Word of God, they begin to give the wisdom of man. But rather, we want to be those who would cling closely to the Word of God so that strange and diverse teachings do not creep in. And it's when you begin to neglect the Bible as a church that that happens. Strange things come in. Diverse things make their way into people's hearts. That's why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself, that is your own character, and on the teaching, that is the doctrine, the word of God. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So it's very important that, that every Sunday, I hope you see this Bible open on this pulpit. Now, I might read the verses from my iPad, but always know that we're going to be teaching the Word of God here. If this church stops teaching the Word of God, run. Leave. Get out. But if we do, if we stay faithful to what God has said, then it seems that we would be able to avoid these diverse and strange teachings. And it cannot be dependent upon one person. It needs to be dependent upon a whole body of believers who know the word of God for themselves. Because look, like I said, I'm fallible. And if I say something that is strange, if I say something that's diverse, you better come talk to me. That's why we have a council of elders because it cannot be dependent upon one person to persist in teaching without the accountability of a whole church and a multitude of leadership. And so, continuing on, it seems that the strange and diverse teachings that were creeping in were teachings that were based on legalism. And the teaching of legalism is the belief that we must earn God's approval by our works rather than earning God's, or not 
We don't earn God's approval. Let me say this again. The teaching of legalism is the belief that we must earn God's approval by our works rather than receiving God's approval by grace. That we are accepted by God for the things that we do or we don't do rather than receiving what Jesus has done on the cross to make us accepted. So legalism is what was drawing these Hebrew believers back into old religious systems. And this is one of the strange and diverse teachings that really does make its way in the church. Legalism is always the same, but it just comes in many different forms. And he says here in verse 9, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And oh, how that is so true. We need our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Because what legalism does is legalism first weakens the heart, and then it hardens the heart. So conversely, we could say it is bad for the heart to be weakened and hardened by legalism. That's what legalism does, is it weakens and it hardens the heart. And what grace does, it comes in and it breaks up that hard and stony heart, and it strengthens us to realize that living and standing in grace is the only way to live well. And so we gather that the legalism that the writer had in mind here had to do with food. And he says in verse 9, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So Paul deals with legalism in in a lot of his letters. And in those letters, he'll often address how there's these arguments about what foods could be eaten, what foods cannot be eaten, and we can uh, see that that was an issue that was being faced in the early church. Because keep in mind, it was Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, who had first received this letter. And those Jews had come out from strict dietary restrictions that were under the Old Covenant. Go read the book of Leviticus to get the diet. So those restrictions, they were first given in the law, but Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. And he fulfilled the dietary restrictions. And so go read Acts chapter 10 to see when Jesus did that. But there were certain religious teachers that were coming into the early church, and they were saying that you could not be a believer unless you kept a certain diet, unless you ate or did not eat these certain foods. And so the writer is refuting that legalistic teaching. Now, I don't think anyone here is tripping out over whether you could go have a hot dog at Costco after church today. But they were in the early church. But there's a whole lot of other things that you and I trip out on. Can I have this? Can I not have this? Can I touch this? Can I not touch this? Well, how do I relate to these things? And we begin to form these legalistic traditions around the things of what we cannot do or what we can do. And Paul deals with legalism with with foods. And so let's read a couple of verses uh, where he addresses this. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, he says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off. If we do not eat, and no better off if we do. He says in Colossians 2, 16 through 17, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath, 
These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I love this one. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So going back to verse 9, I think we can understand this verse a little bit more in light of those verses I just read. It says, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. You guys all good? All right, moving into verses 10 through 14, the writer is going to get deeper into this. And and it seems that the original recipients of this letter kind of knew where the writer was going. For us, it feels kind of like, whoa, he kind of takes a little bit of a left turn and gets really sharp here. He Let's just read it. Starting in verse 10, let's read down to verse 14. He says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gates in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So when I read that, I get the sense that the writer is just getting fired up. Like right here at the end of his letter, there's just this last surge of passion, where he's giving that main point that he's been weaving in throughout this letter, he's giving it in one final way, and it's this, it is better to identify with Jesus than to turn away from the salvation that he offers, only to turn back to lesser things. Why would you turn from Jesus to embrace legalistic forms of religion? And that is what the Hebrews were being tempted to do. There was even tremendous pressure upon these Jewish Christians to turn back to the law, to turn back to Judaism, and just to forsake Jesus. It was getting too hard. The the persecution was rising. It, It was not socially acceptable, much less religiously acceptable, for these people to be following Jesus. And so he's stating it one last time. Why would you embrace the shadow when you have the substance of the reality standing before you in the person and the work of Jesus? God has spoken to us in these last days by his son. Listen to him. Why would you go off and serve any other thing rather than love and serve Jesus? He's saying it like this, you're making life so much more about what happens on earth. You're making life about the comfort of your religion. You're missing out on what we're headed toward. A city whose designer and builder is God, an eternity with God in heaven because we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, that we are the blood-bought bride of Christ, the church, and here we are getting so fixated on food, and talk. 
So look at all these words in verses 10 through 14. He's, he uses words like altar, tents, animals, blood, holy places, high priest, sacrifice, camp, gate, city. And if you are just joining us now here at the end of Hebrews, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was looking over this and I just, I can't teach that verse exhaustively. But if you go back and listen to any of the prior messages for Hebrews, or if you have been with us all along this journey that we've been going through the book of Hebrews, you know what he means when he says altar. You know what he's talking about when he says tent or animal or blood or holy places. You know that Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which is so much better than the priesthood after the order of Aaron. You know that, don't you? Now you know that as we've been studying Hebrews. You know that there was a camp, the camp of Israel, where the tent was there in the middle. You know that there was in the city of Jerusalem, the gate, but that, that is but a shadow and a picture of the reality of what is to come. And, and so rather than explaining it all over again and diving into every detail of these words, you have learned as we've gone through the book of Hebrews that the sacrificial system of the old covenant is obsolete. And you have learned how Jesus has established a new and better covenant, whereby the eternal spirit, he entered into the heavenlies with his own flesh and offered up his own blood so that we can receive grace and mercy and that we can boldly come to the throne of God anytime we want. You know that, right? You've learned that. But we still, even after learning all these truths about Jesus, we still get fixated on the things of this earth. And we fall back into time and time again, what you eat, what you touch, what you listen to, this and that. It's like we lose sight of Jesus. And so perhaps these, these Hebrew Christians were just finding it too hard to continue. And, you know, they're being ridiculed. They're being told, you don't have a temple. Look at our temple here in Jerusalem. You don't even have a temple. You don't have an altar to sacrifice upon. And then he's saying here, we do have an altar. We follow Jesus. You know, they're being told, no, 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 Jesus is not God. You worship an insurrectionist who died on a cross. We, the Jews, worship in the temples with sacrifices of animals. And then we come back and we say, no, Jesus made the ultimate and final sacrifice when he died on a cross and he rose from the dead. And you know what? Jesus said, this temple will be destroyed and three days later I will raise it up. And he wasn't talking about no physical temple. He was talking about his body. And when he died on a cross and rose again and ascended to heaven, rather than putting his spirit in some temple made with hands, you know where he put his spirit? Inside of every single one of his followers. Or do you not know that you are the temple of the living God, that the spirit of God dwells in you? Jesus is better. For the Jews, 
He's the better lampstand, the better showbread, the better veil, the better ark. We have a better altar, the cross, where the Lamb of God died for our sins. He is the bread of the life, and so we eat of him who is of the new, not of the old. And the writer is saying to these Jewish Christians, wanting to go back to their Judaism, wanting to go back to something so much less, and he's saying, you can go back to your law. You can go back to your temple. You can go back to your sacrifices. You can embrace this religion and this blessed city of Jerusalem, but you will only be embracing shadows when you have the substance of the reality, which is Jesus. In the Old Covenant, there was a shadow of what Jesus would become as a sacrifice for us. One shadow mentioned here is how when the blood that would be offered on the altar, the carcass of the animal from whom that blood was shed was taken outside of the camp, outside of the city gates, even up to four miles out, and it would be burned there. The carcass would be considered common and unclean. The blood was part of the sacrifice And so it is the shadow of how Jesus has suffered outside the gates in order to sanctify us with his own blood. And we go out to that camp. We go out of the camp to bear the reproach that he endured. And so what he's saying here to these Hebrew Christians who are on this brink of turning back to old ways and he's just he's he's done this whole letter presenting Jesus before him and 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 he's done that to us to this church and and we've studied through this letter and so he's standing before us right now and he's he's sort of just asking us right here at the end will you go will you go will you consider that scandalous outcast named Jesus, who we believe is the Son of God. Will you go out to him? And and I don't know how much trouble you have endured as a follower of Jesus. If you haven't yet, get ready for it. You cannot enter the kingdom of God without suffering reproach with your Jesus. And if you're really following Jesus, if you're really living the way of life that he lived, you can expect to have some level of reproach for his name. And you just have to live with it. Look, I I stand here preaching this message here this morning, and in a room this full, I imagine there could possibly be one, two, maybe even a handful of people who are just looking at me like, this guy's nuts. He's just way too into this. Like, God, he's so heavenly-minded. He's no earthly good. It's like, oh, no, no, I, I got my mind on Jesus right now, and I want to get your mind on Jesus. And if it hasn't come upon you yet, where you're going to realize that to be a follower of Jesus, and I mean like really following Jesus, people are going to be like, You're ridiculous. Will you identify with the social reject named Jesus? We have a Lord and Savior who knows rejection well. 
We have a Lord and Savior who knows slander very well. We have a Lord and Savior who knows mocking and spitting and cursing and beating. And he says to you and he says to me, take up your cross and follow me. Imitate me. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 28 to 29, he said, Truly I say to you, in the new world, that is in heaven, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So the Hebrew Christians had to decide, was it worth losing in this life to gain in the life to come? Because Jesus said you can gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. Is it worth losing out in this world to live for the world to come? To lose family, to lose friends, to lose jobs, to lose income, to lose social status, to lose reputation, to lose anything, whether it be small or great, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, are you willing to suffer the loss of what it means to identify with Jesus Christ? And, and you might listen to this and say, I don't follow that Jesus, this Jesus that where I have to sacrifice for my life to follow him. What strange and diverse teaching are you listening to? Because as I read my Bible, I see that we bear reproach with Jesus, that we partake of the fellowship of his sufferings. And if we don't, how can we partake of his salvation? And so we have an opportunity to respond to this today and every day with our own lives. In verse 15 through 16, we are being called to sacrifice and live for Jesus. And this is what that sacrifice looks like. Verse 15 and 16, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, we, we know we're not to sacrifice animals anymore. Our faith in Jesus doesn't become about food, what we eat and what we do not eat. But our, our sacrifices, our worship, which is our acceptable response to all that Jesus has done for us, is to respond to him really in very simple ways, wonderful ways. I mean, when, when we're being considered to count the cost, look at the cost we have to pay. We offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Do you, doesn't that seem kind of like an oxymoron? A sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. 
We, we do not neglect to do good and to share what we have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God is pleased by the sacrifices we give, not in a way that earns our salvation, but in a way that just delights him to know that we follow him and we belong to him. And so as we end today, there are two specific ways that we can respond to what we've heard and give a sacrifice to God. And those two things are going to be this morning receiving communion and worshiping. Let me explain for a moment. We've got tables here for communion that, and some in the back there, gluten-free for anyone who needs it back there. We've got these tables where you can come forward and take bread and dip it into the cup and remember. Remember your leader, Jesus, who spoke the word of God to you. This is what Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 22, verse 19 through 20. He says, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Now, you might read that and see these tables, and, and this might become sort of like a thing about food and, and, and whatnot, and it's not about food. And, and if this thing of taking communion is a strange thing to you, can I demonstrate as your leader what, what taking communion is like? I know that so many of you understand it and are all good. You'll be fine this morning, but for anyone here in this room who just doesn't understand what you're doing when you're coming to the tables of communion, I'm just going to do it. So you come to the table, right? You can grab a napkin in case there's any drips. And you grab the bread. This isn't just about a piece of bread. This is about looking at this and realizing that it is a symbol of the body of Jesus that was broken for you on the cross. You look at it and you, you don't just look at a piece of bread, you look at it as though saying, Jesus, I remember because I've heard the gospel that you died on a cross and on your body you suffered outside the gates bearing the reproach of my sin. My sin was put upon your body. The perfect sinless one took my sin and bore it in the body. I believe that in your body you paid for my sins in full. And that's when you look at that bread, that's what you're looking at. And you know that it was because of the shed blood of Jesus that you have the forgiveness of your sins. So you take that bread and you dip it in the cup. And it turns the color red, reminding you of the blood that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And so you look and you say, Jesus, I remember what you've done for me. I'm going to take this bread, I'm going to take this, this blood that, that's been dipped, and I'm, I'm going to take it into myself.
I'm going to eat it. I'm going to consume it so that so it becomes part of me. And you eat. And you remember what Jesus has done for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So every single one of you gets to do that if you believe in Jesus as your Savior. If you don't believe in Jesus yet as your Savior, you can do that today. And this can be the first time that you receive communion as a child of God. And then after receiving communion, the worship team's going to come. And they're going to lead us in songs of praise. Now, maybe worship music is not your thing. You know... It's just not your favorite part of the service. You come late because, you know, you maybe catch the last song because four is just way too much for you. And then the one song, maybe the two songs in the end, it's kind of like, just feels like it's just sort of you do it because it puts a nice bow on the service. It just sort of wraps it up nicely. And it's some musical entertainment at the end. That's not what this is. You know, the worship team... Which Ben, you can come up and lead us. I'm closing it up right now. Is the worship team comes, and the worship team they are not performers. They're not entertainments. They are servants of the Lord. Just as I'm a servant of leading you in the Word of God, they are servants leading us in songs of praise. And so, you know, they're not the performers. And you're not the audience. Rather, together as a church, we are all the performers, and God is the audience. You're not the audience. So so if you don't like the part of the service that is worship, it's not for you. It's for Him. And God likes worship. You know, God likes when we sing. God likes when Micah plays the cymbals. God likes when the keys come in and, and, and he likes the music and he likes when we sing. God wants to hear us sing and you're like, well, pastor, I don't sing. Well, make a sacrifice of praise to your God. A sacrifice is usually something you don't want to do. But guess what? It's not for you. It's for him. And isn't Jesus worthy of a sacrifice of praise? Isn't Jesus worthy of being remembered through communion? That's what we get to do this morning. So I'm going to finish. And you're going to take communion, remembering the chief shepherd and overseer of your souls, Jesus Christ. And you're going to give a sacrifice of praise. Let's light this place up with worship. Amen. Let's do it. As you feel led, come to the tables of communion and let's sing to the Lord.